you have your Bibles, I invite you to come with me to uh, Mark chapter 6, a very familiar passage. If you came here today to, to learn something new, I'm sorry, I'm going to disappoint you. I am part of Fellowship of Christian Athletes, not Fellowship of Christian Brain Surgeons. And there's a reason why I work with athletes and not uh, um, people on a higher academic scale. But uh, Mark chapter 6 is where we talk. Have, are you familiar with the term game changer? Are you familiar with that? You know, uh, the momentum of the game is going one way. It's going possibly bad. And all of a sudden, the coach inserts a sub, and he has a spark added to the team, and he becomes a game changer. Or it's a critical moment in the game, and, and two outs, and a guy comes up the bat and slaps a double into the left field corner. And it becomes a game changer, uh, defensive stop at a critical moment. And we think everything's going this way. Everything's going this direction. We're never going to win. We're going to lose. And then all of a sudden something happens, right? And it seems to turn on a dime. And momentum changes. Direction changes. And the outcome of the game changes at that one moment. Today's passage is a game changer in the life of the disciples. They're not getting it. They're not tracking it. They're not following along with what God's plan is. In fact, fact, verse uh, 52 says, For they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. This is the direction the disciples were going. But something happened, a game changer, that totally change the direction of their thinking, their mission, their calling, and their future. And I want you to look at that with me today, because some of us are in need of a game changer. We've kind of hit a rut. We've kind of hit a low spot. where We kind of feel beat up and beat out, and boy, we need that spark to change. Mark chapter 6. Let's begin with verse 45. And we're just going to read down through there, make some observations, and kind of just wrap it all up. So be nice and simple. Mark chapter 5, immediately, I love that, immediately, immediately what? Background. Jesus is at the height of his ministry. Popularity is skyrocket. He's just fed 5,000 people plus, right? You got familiar with that story? Five. I'm just I'm testing to see if he's doing his job. Are you, are you, are you familiar with the story of the feeding of the 5,000, right? Five loaves and two fishes, and the little kid gave up his lunch, and he multiplied it, and he didn't just multiply it and give them all a little parcel. He, they were able to gorge themselves to full max, plus they had 12 baskets left over. John 6 tells us at the end of feeding of the 5,000, the crowd there, and we know there's more than 5,000, 5,000 men, probably 5,000 women, probably some women and children, there's probably 10, 15, 20,000 people. They began to press in on Jesus to make him king. Okay? So get the scene. He had just fed them. He had just satisfied them. And they start chanting, Jesus, Jesus. Jesus, let's go, Jesus. Da, da, da. You know, they're pressing in on him, and there's, you know, someone's starting to hang up the signs, you know, Jesus for emperor and, and all this, and they're, they're pushing in on him, and 
and you could just sense the disciples getting real excited about this. You know, Judas the Iscariot, uh, the charge of the money. He's saying, "I've just a cost analysis. We can afford so many uh, campaign commercials at this time that we can run a great campaign. We've got the funds to do it. We can do fundraising. Let's get the social media going, and we'll get some. We'll go Facebook Live with this, these crowds, you know, and all this, and you can see um, Peter." pulling out his little sword that he had. We knew he had a sword, right? He pulled that sword out and says, we got some political strength there, but we also got some military strength. We can do this. Let's march on down to Jerusalem and make Jesus king. And it says this, and immediately Jesus made his disciples do what? Get into the boat. Now, why did he do that? See, I think... The disciples were prone to, st- to step ahead of Jesus. Jesus said, uh, my time's not now. Get in the boat. Get out of here. I get the privilege of working primarily in the inner city of Indianapolis. And I don't know if you know much about Indianapolis. We are a, a great city. We are known for not, not great football, um, especially lately, but, um, and not great basketball. Uh, it's not real great sports, now that I think about it. But we are, we are fifth in the nation in violent crimes per capita. We, we are ahead of Detroit. We are ahead of um, Cleveland. We are ahead of Cincinnati and St. Louis. We are f- number five in the country of violent crimes. And I get to work in the inner city, and I go to a lot of football games and basketball games, athletic high school games, and we're constantly on edge at these games because you never know what's going to break out. And a lot of times we're like, guys, just get on the bus. Don't say anything. The game is over. (laughs) You you know, the game is over. Don't say anything. We're going right out of the locker room, straight onto the bus, and we're getting home. Nobody looking at anything. Keep your heads down. On the bus, go. But, Coach, go. On the bus. Get on the That's the scene here. Jesus. But, but Jesus. Peter, get on the boat. But, Jesus, get on the boat. Get out of here. He didn't want them to get wrapped up into this riot, in this crowd, this pressing in. Hey, we're going to make you king. Because they have a propensity, a desire to do this. So he says, get on the boat. And go ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. Now, there's the first miracle. you got 10,000 people, Jesus all by himself. They want to make him king, and he's dismissing the crowd. How's he doing that, you know? He doesn't have an orange vest on, no flares or anything like that. Nothing to see here, folks. Just move along, move along, move along, keep moving. Guys, start rowing. I told you to get out of here. Guys, move along. Everybody back to their homes. Nothing to see here. Food's over, party's gone, turn out the lights, you know, probably like here, the custodian staff comes in and says, uh, would you guys just go home, right? We, we did a commercial, I don't know if you ever heard that on the radio, we're at our church, we said, uh, um, we had our custodian, his name was Ned, and I'm Ned of Geist Community Church, and I got a request, come to our church, but when you come, do me a favor, go home, because I'm in charge of locking up, <laughs> you know, and we have people in the background say, go ahead, Ned, we'll take care of it. Said, so come to our church. It's real friendly. But just go home. 
you know. But that's what's going on here. Go home, folks. After leaving them, he went up the mountainside to pray. What do you think Jesus prayed about? Do you think there would have been a tension even within himself to say, they want to make me king? God, man, I was really tempted there. Not my will, but thine be done. Is there a tension there saying, hey, these disciples are not getting it. They're so emotionally fickle at times. They're up and down, and now they were up and, and not understanding what I'm preaching. You know, I think the Bible tells us in John 17 a little bit what Jesus prayed for. Prayed for himself. Prayed for his disciples. Prayed for us. Maybe prayed for us because we're tendency to get emotionally stirred up. Right? The culture that we live in right now, you watch, it just takes one news report, right? I can't my, my my wife and I can't watch the news at the same time anymore. It, you know, we just can't do it. You know, because it just takes a little bit to stir us up. perhaps go in the wrong direction. What if he prayed for us? 21st century Christians living in our culture that he's designed for us to live in, understanding that the crowd is going to be pushing in on us constantly, pushing the culture of the community in on the church. And, oh, I pray for the disciples in Rochester they won't be tempted with this, that they'll stay in the boat, that they won't get distracted, that they'll stay together. But he's in the mountain praying. When evening came, the boat was in the middle of the lake, and he was alone on land. So just get the scene. He put them in the boat, said, Road of Bethsaida, I'm going to the mountain to pray. Bethsaida is probably three miles away. It's a good hour row. It's not a long distance. These were experienced fishermen. They've been on the lake. They would understand how to get there. It wouldn't take them much time. But now it comes to evening. They're in the middle of the lake, and he was alone on land. And he saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. There they are. Straining, straining, straining. Now, this is not a scene where the wind and the waves are coming in and they, Lord, don't, don't you care that we drown kind of thing. This is not that kind of a scene. This is simply we're not making progress. We are working, we've been working, and we're working, and it doesn't seem like we are going anywhere Anybody want to give a testimony? Right? Right? And you can see the disciples. Peter obviously assumes the, the role of the coxswain. He's, stroke. Come on, boys. Put your backs into it. Let's go. Stroke. 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 And they're going. What took an hour is now four hours, five hours. 
stroke. Come on, guys. They started out full, on full stomachs. Now they burned all those calories off. You know, I, don't know if, I know looking at me, you don't understand that I usually go to the Y a couple times a week. I, I know why Ken asked me to come. There's very few people that can fill the pulpit like him. And they, he needed somebody like me to come fill his pulpit. So, But I go to the Y, and every once in a while I look at this thing. It's called an erg machine. Does anybody see, know what I'm talking about? It's a rowing machine. Yeah, I've heard of it, right? Um, yeah, every once in a while I look at that. And I have tried it. But about five minutes, my back really starts hurting. And I move on to the treadmill, something else, right? It's elliptical. That's nice, nice, easy pace and go. But I watched a guy, a guy that's really good shape. 20 minutes is his max. Maybe 30. These guys are going at it for hours. Stroke. Who put them in the boat? Jesus, right? Who told them to go to the other side? You think that came across their mind? I sure thought serving Jesus would be a lot easier, right? I sure thought obeying Christ would get us somewhere. If I would have known that I'd be rowing, straining at the oars as long as this, what now? How long have you been here? Five years? Ten years? Thirteen years? Going for 15? Straining. Pulling. Out of pure obedience to Christ. It was obedience that took people like the Jim Elliott and his four brothers to South America to die in sharing the Christ. Sharing Christ. Pure obedience. Pure obedience. Corey Timboon endureth concentration camp. Says God put her there. We do a football camp, and a week from tomorrow we'll start a football camp, and you can pray for this. We'll have a thousand uh, football players and coaches at this camp. Most of them, if not all of them, uh, have no relationship with Jesus Christ. And um, last year. We had a guy by the name of Kari Willis. And I don't know if you know that name. Kari Willis is 24 years old. He just retired from the Colts. He's 24 years old. Did I get that? He just retired. Not because of concussion. Not because of injury. It said in the paper he retired because God called him to ministry. So he comes, and he's our speaker at our camp, a 1,000 football players, all high school guys, inner city guys. We're doing a question and answer. What's their number one question? How can you give up 
a $6 million guaranteed contract. That was my question. <laughs> right? And he said, because God called me. That's all? He said, that's the only way I explain it. And why would I accept $6 million to go play another year of football when the King of Kings and Lord of Lords has enlisted me onto his team? Pure obedience. Pure obedience. I'm thinking, God could use that money. Yeah, you know, but he's a pastor now in uh, Jackson, Miss, uh, Jackson, Michigan, uh, serving as an assistant pastor and seeing hundreds of people come to Christ. He shared his testimony, gave the invitation. If I can just tell a story real quick, I don't know what time it is. You don't have, oh, there's a clock. Okay, watching it. Um, he gave the invitation, and he said, if you want to, if you prayed to receive Christ, you know that kind of like we did last night, prayed to receive, raise your hand. A thousand kids, all but eight, raised their hand. I'll tell you why I know eight. Because Kari was a little, he was like, whoa. He said, okay, look up here, look up here. You know, look up here. <laughs> you know, football guys, you know. So I'm, I'm not kidding. I'm serious about giving your life to Christ. I'm serious about changing your life, about following Jesus. I, this isn't a game we're playing here. And I'm going to ask you to do something. He says, because if, if you won't stand up for Christ in here, I know when you get out in the hallways of your school, you won't stand up for Christ out there. So here's what I'm going to do. I never asked this, but I'm going to ask you, if you're serious about this, I want you to stand up on your feet right now that you give your life. All but eight stood up. Do you understand what I'm talking about? I'm talking about a life given over in obedience to Christ to follow Jesus. And he's just going on. He's just, you know, kind of flipping out a little bit, to, you know, seeing the Holy Spirit move like that. And he said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going I'm to make you go another step. And I said, if you are serious about following Christ, I want you to come forward. And it was literally, it was theater seating, you know, big auditorium theater seating like in a movie theater and these kids were literally stepping over the chairs because the aisles were backed up so much coming forward and I know there's only eight because that was all that was left but one of the kids left this is a guy by the name of Mohammed I knew Mohammed because when he came to registration he wasn't registered he wasn't pre-registered and uh, Mohammed, when you're not when you're not pre-registered, you gotta go see Todd. So he had, he comes over to me, and I got the computer out. And, okay, what's your uh, name? He said Mohammed. I said, okay, is that your first or last name? And he said, both. I said, you're Mohammed, Mohammed. He said, yeah. And I said, are you Muslim? And he gave me those look that only a teenage football player can give you. Like, 
duh. I mean, you know, yeah, yeah, I'm Muslim. And he said, what are you doing? I said, I got to register. And uh, what's your parents? Mom, you live with mom, dad, your guardian's name. And why do you need that? I said, because you're going to be spending three days here, two nights, and we got to have, in case something happens. He says, well, they don't know I'm here. And I said, okay. Um, how old are you? Seventeen and a half. Well, we probably need to tell them you're here. Um, why? I just came to play football. And I kind of sensed some tension there. I said, okay, Mohammed, let's do this. Call him Moo by the end of camp, Moo Um I'll be your guardian for the week. So I'm going to put my name down here. I'm Todd. Glad to meet you. Um, if you have any problem, but I'll sign for you if there's a problem. But if there's a problem with you, the person they're going to call is me. So we're glad you're here at the camp, but we need to make sure you're on your best behavior because you don't want me to get called. Um, so sign up. Back, fast forward to chapel. Kari Willis gives things. Eight people still sitting. One of them's Moo Moo. I understood that. Fast forward two months. I'm at his school doing a football chapel before a game. Moo Moo's right in the front row, right here. And I challenge him. I talk about Christ and, uh, and all this and and I go up to him, Mumu, hey, man, thanks for coming, uh, chapel. I know you're Muslim, and you don't believe the same way we do, but it uh, shows good leadership being here. Thanks for coming. He says, I said, I know you're not a Christian. And he says, well, how do you know I'm not a Christian? And I said, uh, well, you told me you're a Muslim. Remember that day we met? He said, yeah, but remember that night when everybody stood up? I said, yeah, but you didn't. And he said, yeah, because I can't let anybody know. But that night, I gave my heart to Christ. I said, you can't let anybody know because your mom and dad? He said, yeah. And so I said, hey, let's start meeting Thursday nights after practice, you and I. We met all through football season, got him a scholarship with a Christian coach. He's now... Uh, going to finish his freshman year um, at a Christian at a, at a public school that has a Christian coach who's getting him involved with chapel. And I look back, why did this guy give up a million dollars, six million dollars? Maybe just for Moomoo. Maybe that was it. But he's rowing the boat, rowing the boat, rowing the boat. Keep rowing. He comes. And when evening came, the boat was in the middle of the lake, and he was alone on land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars, rowing, rowing, because the wind was against them. They were getting nowhere. They were making no progress. They were just dead in the water. About the fourth hour watch of the night, Jesus went out to them. A couple quick things. First, be encouraged. God sees you in your struggles. That's probably another miracle, right? He was up, where was he? He was on the mountainside. It was dark at night. They were out a couple, couple miles out on the lake rowing. 
in the midst of a windstorm, blowing against the waves, roaring, and he's up on the mountain. And even that distance far away, he saw them in the struggle. He sees you. And the fourth watch of the night, now, now they've been out there eight, nine hours, he went out to them. He sees you in the storm, in the struggle, he comes to you. He's not a God that just calls from the shore, hey guys, how's it going out there? Making any progress? Keep going. No, he's coming. He's coming. Walking on the water. Notice this next passage. He was about to pass by them. Let me read that again. He was about to pass by them. What? They're out stroking, rowing, going. And here she is. Oh! You guys are out here. What does that mean? He was about to pass. Did he forget what he was doing? Squirrel. Oh. (laughs) We'll come back to that. But when they saw him walking on the water, they thought it was a ghost. That's, That's what fishermen would think. Reports have been told of people drowning out on the lake in the middle of a storm and coming back as ghosts. We've all seen the movie Guardians, right? You know, somewhere out there. Is a, 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 yeah. They cried out. Literally, that means they screamed like teenagers at a haunted house. They were terrified. I mean, this was, I mean that's literally what the text says. Says cried out, but the the language there is they they were scared out of their wits. It was petrified. They 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 shrieked, you know, and it was all of them at once. They are rowing. They're still going, and in the middle of the night, it, something catches their eyes, and all of them turn at once to look. <gasps> says this take courage buck up get a grip hang in there don't panic take courage it is I literally Ego a me. Literally, I am. The very words that he said to Moses at the burning bush. But I can't talk. I can't speak. Who should I say sent me? You tell him, I am sent you. Here he says, I am. Complete the sentence, God. Don't be afraid. Then he climbed in the boat with them, and the wind died down, and they made it to the other side, and we were all amazed. Kind of in the story. 
But let's go back. What does that mean? He intended to pass by them. Let's figure that out before we leave. That phrase is only used three other times in all of Scripture. Three times it's used in the Old Testament. It's an interesting word. It's uh, used to describe Moses. Remember Moses in the Mount Sinai? And he says, I just want to see Jesus. God, God, can I get a glimpse of you? And God said, right, no man has ever seen me. You can't handle seeing me. I'm going to put you in the cleft of the rock, and I will pass by, and you will see my entrails, right? I will pass by. I'm just going to pass by you. And remember, that encounter with God was so life-changing, game-changing, if you will, that Moses came off the mountain, and he had to do what? He had to veil his face because the people couldn't stand the glory of God that had been shown to Moses. He had just passed by, intending to pass by. It's used to describe in 1 Kings, Elijah, the same thing, who, who wanted so desperately to see God and who he was. And in 1 Kings 19 at Mount Horeb, God reveals his presence to Elijah. I am with you. I am here, and to show you, I'm just going to pass by you. I'm going to give you a glimpse. It's the scribe of Job wanting to know the holiness of God, the presence of God as he was going through that suffering. And in Job chapter 9, God reveals his holiness by the same phrase of just passing by. See, I think this is what's happening. Let's go back out on the, into the boat, back on the lake. They are struggling at the oars all night long, pulling, pulling. And God, Jesus sees them out there. He goes to them out there, and he intends, let me just give them a little glimpse of who I am. And that'll be enough. And instead of just passing by, he gets in the boat. Here's what I think is happening. A lot of times when I'm at my own oar, I want God to do something. Come on, God. We give me a tailwind. You know, at least make the boat lighter. Get Peter out of here. I don't need. Put him in a different boat. We prayed about that. Uh, you know, put so and so in a different church. That, that's why he and I didn't talk about it. He didn't want my people, and I didn't want his. You know, we were we were afraid we'd just swap sheep and. We, I knew his people, and he knew mine, and neither one of us would be good for each other. And we're just, God, just do something. And God says, I can do something, but that's not what you need. You need to see something. 
So it's not about what God does. It's about who God is. That's the game changer. Up until this point, the disciples, they were all about what God could do. He could perform miracles. He could feed 5,000 people. He could cast out demons. He could do this. He could do this. He could do this. And that was great. But Jesus didn't come to do. He came to show who he was. He's God. And you're his child. He will never leave you or forsake you. He will empower you with just what you need. He'll provide all your needs out of his riches and glory. He can do anything but what he wants you to know who he is. He's God. And he's your daddy. And once we get a hold of that, once we understand, we stop looking at God and to do something, or rather, show us who you are in the storm. I was having this conversation with Ken. Both he and I have gone through some medical issues in the last couple of years, and, and we were both in the hospital, what we thought potentially on our deathbed, and what God showed up, and it wasn't about what he was going to do because we didn't care, Right? Take me home, God. I, you know, don't tell me. Just show me who you are. I need to know who you are. That you're still God in this culture that we live in. I need to know that you're still on the throne. That you're still in control of the waves. That you still want me in this boat. I want you to know that you're still my heavenly father. That you love me even when I stop rowing. Just pass by, God, so that I can see your glory. And when we get a glimpse of God's glory, it'll change. Father, you are so good to us. You're a good, good Father. And I thank you for calling us into the boat. Thank you for seeing us in the boat and coming to us. Father, may we come to know you in a greater way as you pass by the boat. May we know that you're the great I am. The great I am. The ruler of heaven and earth. The Alpha and Omega. The rock. Our shield. Our forever friend our loving Father, and you are our Savior. And thank you. Thank you for giving us a glimpse of that today. In Jesus' name, amen.